Hello and welcome to another Tabletop Games Blog Saturday review. March on the Drina by Princip Games is a war game set during World War I, or more specifically, the Serbian campaign, where one player controls the Serbian forces, which are technically supported by Montenegro, but that country has no forces or financial power of its own, while one to three other players control the opposing side of Germany, Austria Hungary, and Bulgaria. The setting the Serbian campaign during World War I began after Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia on 28th of July 1914 and was also known as the campaign to punish Serbia. In the first campaign, Serbia successfully defended itself three times against Austria-Hungary when, in the second campaign, Germany, Austria-Hungary and Bulgaria joined forces and attacked Serbia from three sides. Serbian forces had no choice but to retreat through Montenegro and Albania and evacuate to Greece. Eventually, in September 1918, France joined the battle and a Franco-Serbian force liberated Serbia, Albania and Montenegro. Serbian forces continued their march and reached Belgrade on 1st November 1918, effectively ending this part of World War I. Casualties during the campaign were very high. The Serbian army lost around 75% of its force and it is claimed that over 1 million Serbian inhabitants lost their lives during the war, or around 29% of its population. But these figures may have been lower. In contrast, France lost around 16% of its military force and Germany around 15%. It is clear that World War I as a whole was a bloody war, and the effects of this global conflict were felt for decades afterwards. And even though the war in Serbia depicted March on the Drina was only part of it, it was no less terrible. The Game March on the Drina is a war game, where players represent either Serbia, Austria-Hungary, Germany or Bulgaria. Actually, the game can be played from two to four players, so who controls which nation will depend on player count, but one player will always just play Serbia. In a two-player game, the other player will control the three other nations, while in a three-player game, one player controls Austria-Hungary and the other Germany-Bulgaria. In a four-player game, each player controls one nation only, of course. The game map shows all of Serbia and that along the outside, going clockwise from the northeast, has a small section of Austria-Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, Greece, Albania, and Montenegro. Like in so many other war games, everything is divided into hexagons, some of which cannot be entered and represent mountains or bodies of water. The game is played over a certain number of rounds, unless one side can occupy a certain number of cities for a whole round, until it's their turn again. That is quite hard to achieve, so most games will go for the whole length, and the winner is decided by who controls most cities in Serbia and Montenegro at the end of the last round. Each round represents a certain time period during the war in Serbia and is depicted on a small ring-bound desk calendar. Every page on the calendar has a photo and quite a few paragraphs describing the events of the time, as well as a short call-out box that tells players any special effects, such as one country losing a unit or getting a bonus when attacking. Players are allowed to look ahead, so they can plan for what's coming to benefit from the effect of the upcoming time periods. Every player starts with a certain number of forces of different types, infantry, cavalry and artillery, which are secretly placed on the map at the start. That is achieved via a notepad showing a small version of the full map, under which players secretly note the positions of their starting troops. Once everyone has made their choice, the maps are revealed and the relevant units are placed onto the game board. That means every game can start slightly differently and opposing forces don't necessarily face each other directly from the beginning. Mind you, given that players are trying to occupy a certain number of Serbian cities for a whole round to win the game, there will be certain locations that are likely to be occupied straight away, 
or at least there will be certain positions near those cities that troops will be placed to protect them against enemy occupation. There are also generals in the game, each of whom has a special ability, and troops within a certain number of steps of the general will benefit from that ability, and only those troops will be able to be reinforced during the rounds when this is possible. Reinforcements don't happen every round though, so troops tend to act quite independently of their general for quite a lot of time in the game, but as the reinforcement round approaches, players will try and move their troops and generals closer together so they can refresh their army's strengths. However, new troops aren't free. Every nation has a certain amount of so-called military capacity, which is basically a figure equivalent to money, that players collect at the end of their turn, and that goes up or down as you occupy or lose cities in the battle. Cities in your own country are more valuable to you, while enemy cities still increase your military capacity, but by a lot less. That represents the fact that producing ammunition, weapons and other equipment, and drafting new soldiers is easier in your home country, and while it is possible in an occupied enemy city, it's not quite as successful or productive. On your turn, you can use each unit you have once. You don't have to employ every unit, and you decide one by one which unit to activate. Depending on the unit, you can move a certain number of hexes, and if you land on an enemy unit, battle commences. Rather than rolling dice, in March on the Arena, both sides draw a card from a deck that has a mix of different modifier cards, ranging from 0 to plus 3. You add that number to a unit's attack or defense value, and the unit's strength, either number of tokens the unit comprises of, and whoever has the higher number wins the battle. The loser has to remove one token from the unit, or remove the unit completely if there's only one token left, and then retreat away from the attacker by one hex, if there's anything left of the unit after the fight. It is pretty simple and quick, and the rulebook suggests you modify the deck depending on whether you want more or less randomness in the game. That's a really wonderful touch, making battles relatively predictable, without making them certain. Additionally, some units are better in attack, others better in defense, so you have to choose what units you use for what, making it important you have the right ones in place. Also, the defender isn't far away and can launch a counter-attack on their turn, beat at a slightly reduced strength. So it is possible that battles for a city go backwards and forwards, with the nation controlling the city changing with every battle, until eventually one side has been completely wiped out. However, the map is quite large compared to the number of troops, so battles aren't necessary to take over control over the city. It is very likely that one or two of your units will outflank the opponent and make a run for it down one side, hoovering up cities as they go. The defender will be hard pushed to catch up, let alone prevent this from happening. Serbia certainly has its work cut out to try and control the battle taking place on three fronts. The way March and the Arena is implemented allows players to formulate an overall strategy, which they will have to adapt as the situation on the board changes. Tactics are required, but there is some real forward planning needed too to ensure that there are enough troops available to fill the ranks and push through the enemy line. You also need to keep an eye on the calendar to make sure you don't miss a vital reinforcement phase. March on the arena does seem to reflect the events from history pretty well, at least in broad strokes, as Serbia is quite strong at the beginning, then really loses ground halfway through, and then comes back stronger near the end. Serbia's opponents really have to work together to have a chance of winning the game. As I said, most of the time it will be decided on the last turn, so trying to push for an early victory is definitely an option, and something that you should bear in mind but don't run out of energy too soon, or you will stand no chance of lasting the game. You have to keep your eye on both winning conditions at all times. Here is a really good war game that makes players work hard for their victory and forces them to think ahead and plan well, while also being able to respond to unexpected turns of events. The Verdict 
March and Adrena works very hard to try and remind players of the real-world events that took place during World War I, as they relate to the war in Serbia. The map reminds me of those you would see in newspapers from the time, showing how troops were attacking or defending. All the relevant places are marked and every relevant city is named. The rulebook's first page is dedicated to the history and the World War I conflict in Serbia, and the events leading up to it. It definitely sets the scene for the game, and is an important read to better understand what it is as a player that you're doing, and how it relates to the historic events of the time. As players, you will also choose generals from those that are authentic or to the time period. The general's abilities try to represent the real person's strategies and approaches during the war, and each one is briefly described on the accompanying card, giving you another hint at the motivation of the war and the characters involved. The long description on the calendar really brings to life what happened during that time, and the round effects reflect that and force players to build them into their strategy. Suddenly losing a unit in one round can be decisive, and players do get a very small sense of how brutal the war was in that respect. Deciding which units to reinforce is also another moment when players have to think hard about where to invest the military capacity, and suddenly realizing that some troops are too far away from a general to have any hope of help does make you wonder what it might have been like in the real war. However, March and Drina, like so many war games, is unable to really bring home the loss of life, the suffering, and the full brutality of the war in Serbia. Winning a battle is a matter of removing a token and moving units around the board. There is no sense of how many people would have died how many would have been wounded and how many civilians might have been caught up in the conflict, and what they may have endured as a result. The rulebook is not bad, but will take a couple of reads to properly understand. It was translated from Serbian into English, so it is understandable that some things are not quite clear. Also, the rulebook doesn't use they to address the reader or the players, but he slash she instead. Again, this is likely a result of the translation from a language where every noun has a gender and verbs will change depending on the speaker's gender as well, and where they isn't an established first-person singular pronoun. So if you want to learn more about the history of the World War I conflict in Serbia, then March and the Dreamer does a very good job of narrating the story and making it a little easier to understand as you play the game. Thank you for listening to this Tabletop Games Blog Saturday Review Podcast. Please check the description below for links mentioned in this episode as well as to the written version of this article on the blog. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, give us some stars or leave a review. Please also tell your friends about me and if you want to offer financial support, check out my Patreon Ko-fi pages, links to which you'll find in the blog at tabletopgamesblog.com. So thank you again for listening and I hope to see you again soon. This podcast was made possible by the generous help of my Patreon supporters. Royal Patrons, Nicholas Higgins and Sean Newman. Magic Champion, Zepp Hicks. Castle Guards, David Miller and James Naylor. Dice Masters, Alex Bardi, Paul Grogan and Robin Kay. And Shining Lights, Gavin Jones, Sarah Reed, Richard Simpson and Tim Vernick.